Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session 449. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 449 you're listening to. My guest today is producer, engineer, and musician A.J. Hicks. A.J.'s worked with a wide variety of people, including bands such as Powerhouse, Fang, Suede, Razors, Ultrasec, Camellia, Boutros, and Scott Erty. He's also worked with some of the Bay Area's best musicians and producers, including Michael Rosen, Michael Urbano, Jim Bogus, Jeff Campitelli, Uriah Duffy, James DePredo, Jerry Becker, Vicky Randall, and Vu. As AJ says in his bio that he sent me, he says, I wear many hats in the industry. I'm a performing, recording musician, producer, mixer, recording engineer, assistant engineer, and runner that gets lunch. Happy to do any role that the production process requires. Super happy to have him on the show and look forward to you hearing this interview. AJ Hicks coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about the various audio personalities. When I say audio personalities, I think what I am essentially trying to get at it here is there are different levels of audio interest and audio nerdiness out there in the world. There are some of us who, and I'll just make an analogy here to cars, which I think I've made on the show before. There are those of us who just want to know how to put the gas in the car and drive it. And then there are those of us who like to take the car apart and rebuild it from the ground up and modify various aspects of it. And I'm here to tell you, I think there's room for all of us because I think we all can educate one another and learn from one another. How I would best explain my role in all of this is as as an engineer, I think the fact that I named the podcast Working Class Audio pretty much says it all. I think I'm a working class audio kind of person, a, a working class engineer, if you will. You know, I love audio. I love taking care of the clients. I love making sure uh, great stuff goes out the door. I love getting, you know, hired to do a gig, love getting paid to do a gig. That is the biggest thrill. It's like, oh, I get paid to do this thing that I love. How much more cool could that be? And I will get involved in projects and try to squeeze the absolute best out of them, no matter what the budget is, no matter the talent. Uh, if somebody says, hey, we're gonna pay you to do this, and if I accept it, then my job, in my opinion, is to do the best I can and get the best out of them and help the project cross the finish line in the best way possible. And there's various degrees of us. You've got Steve Albini. Steve's got a certain level of nerdiness to him. He knows a lot about what he's doing, but he also has a very, you know, uh, customer service, get the job done kind of vibe going on there at Electrical, from my opinion. You have Eric Valentine, also a great engineer, who is probably just a, a few nerdy nerdiness levels up from Steve. You know, Eric likes to get into the weeds a bit, right? Um, and then you've got those of us thinking on a completely different level, like my friend and former WCA guest, Andrew Sheps. Andrew definitely 
is thinking a little bit outside the box and exploring different areas, you know, the whole sound flow thing, and stuff like that, that make all of our lives easier or harder, depending on who you are. But all those degrees of the nerdiness are, are fantastic and we can learn from each one of them. And I'll even say this, I have friends that like to listen to the difference between power cables. That is a level of nerdiness that I just cannot get down with. Do I, you know, love and respect those people? Absolutely, because I've got friends who are like that, who just get into the weeds to a level that is just beyond me. But once again, I respect their differences and I just think that they're they're good people at heart. And once again, there are things there to learn. Do I like listening to power cables? Hell no. I just think that's the biggest waste of time. But my friends who like to do that, find out different things and learn from that. So if I can learn from them, I think that's that's fantastic. So all this to say that whether you are just somebody who's got a, a basic knowledge of audio, you know how to get the job done and take care of the clients, or you are the person who's pulling the top off the brand new piece of gear that you just bought and you're trying to mod that piece of gear, and you're trying to find maybe the best solder to use in your mod, you know, trying to take it to the extreme there. Doesn't matter, everybody in between, I think we all have something to bring to the table. And like I said, do I roll my eyes at some of my friends who do some of that, that extra level nerdy shit? Of course I do. So find your place, take your nerdiness level to whatever level you're gonna take it, run with it, man. Yeah, there is a place for you. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter where, audio is a, very big tent kind of thing. You know, I guess that's kind of a political analogy, isn't it? We have a lot of different personalities, a lot of different characters out there. And uh, let your let your nerd flag fly is what I say. And uh, do it at the level that you see fit. I think you get my point. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. 
And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button, at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. AJ Hicks here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. AJ, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Well, so happy to be here. It's a pleasure. Let's establish some some basics of what's going on right now, and then we'll backtrack. Sure. You wear many hats, as you said in the form that you filled out for me. Right. Where basically you play all different roles, including performing, recording musician, producer, mixer, recording engineer, assistant engineer, and the runner that gets the lunch. And that you're happy to play your role in the whole production process, depending on what it is. You're currently performing and playing, but you're also working out of the studio that Michael Rosen, former WCA guest Michael Rosen has, which is located in Soundwave Studios. Yeah, in West Oakland. And so Michael's got Basically, it was a former rehearsal studio and or recording studio for Faith No More, right? Yes, Faith No More. I think Merv had that room for a while, too. It's been a a few people's spot. Yeah. Yeah. Great spot. All one room. Great for communication. I played drums that Michael recorded there for a project I did for a Devo tribute thing. Came out great. Great space. And most recently... You and I have been having a lot of back and forth because you've been working on projects that I'm mixing, and right. that's been a real treat, especially this last batch that we've been working on. So that's what's happening now. You you play, you record, you produce. You're working on a lot of stuff with a lot of great people, including Jeff Campitelli, who played with Joe Satriani, Uriah Duffy, who played with White Snake, Jim Bogus, who plays with the Counting Crows our mutual friend, Michael Urbano, who's played with everybody, who's one of the, just the great, great drummers of the Bay Area. Jerry Becker, of course, who plays with Train. A lot of people. Oh, I can't leave out James DePredo, who plays with Chuck Prophet. Yes. Oh, and Kevin White, of course. Right. Yep. Who also plays with Chuck Prophet. Who also plays with Chuck yeah, Prophet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, we have a lot of mutual friends, connections, and uh, crossover of work. We'll get into that a little bit later, but tell me where you grew up. I grew up in San Leandro, California. Always had music in the house. In fact, my grandparents were musicians and freelancers and all about that. 
I guess I don't have that much to say about where I grew up, Matt. I mean, I just grew, I grew up in San Leandro. <laughs> what, what more <laughs> I can, can you say? I can say about the music Gr- stuff. You grew up in I San mean, Leandro. I mean, that's really it. Um, actually, I'm sitting next to the first recording device that I ever played with, which is a Panasonic little tape recorder. It's the first time I ever heard myself back was, was that thing there. And What was that like when you first discovered what the capabilities of that device were? Oh, it was incredible, man. It was just like, the first time I heard myself back, I was just like, it was really, I think the first thing I ever did was just play a little guitar riff. I was like eight years old. I just learned what the 145 was and how to play a power chord. Hmm. And so I played through that and I recorded it, played it back. And it was just, it was amazing. And I could, I could solo to it and it just changed my life. From then on, I mean, that was right around the same time I wanted to start writing songs and not for any good reason too. I mean, it wasn't like I, I listened to some artists and was like, oh my God, I want to be just like them. It was just like, oh, I have to, I want to write something, you know, it just kind of compelled me. I think I've convinced myself, and I might be completely full of shit, but I've convinced myself that when one discovers like the Panasonic recording device there, like the first time you understand that there are devices out there that can record and you can play back what you recorded, which it's may seem like common sense, but if you know you're eight years old. It's a mind-bending revelation. And I think something in the brain clicks and it fundamentally shifts your thinking about what's possible. Absolutely. So I know you have a brother. I do, yeah. Who plays in one of the projects that I've been mixing. Is that, that's correct? That is correct. Was it just the two of you or is there another sibling? And just the two of us. We are, uh, though I guess I could say that about how I grew up, couldn't I? There was uh, just four of us. So it was just me, my brother, my mom, and my dad. Growing up, was there a lot of musical interaction between you and your brother? Not as much as you might think, considering how much our careers are, are based in music. We jammed here and there. We had family parties where we'd have like, I actually just went through some old video cassettes from like 20 years ago. And we have all these videos of us putting on shows at our family parties and creating a bill out of the bands we made in high school or middle school or something like that. And it was just awful. I think, I just can't believe that our parents would, that they sat through all of that, but that was so sweet of them. Uh, Cause <laughs> I watch back, I watch it back now and I just go home. I, I fast forward through all those bits. Like no need to digitize that bit. Like, like we're okay. Yeah. You know? So, so as far as our, our musical interaction, it's been here and there. I would say as we've grown up and become engineers kind of in our own worlds, we've come together a little bit more. I'm really into the concepts of things and the creative and the the passion and the feeling of things. And my brother has seemingly found more space in the technique of things and technical side of things. Mm. Um, and so once I think he started to do more music with his engineering, because he does post-production is a big part of how his engineering career started. But once he started to do more music and once I started to do more engineering, then we we really started to find some sort of middle ground, which has been really fun the last few years we've been working together. Is there a big age difference there? About six years. Yeah. So it's so big enough. That's enough to be like pretty much different people by the time. I mean, you know, I'm in middle school and he's off to college. So. Yeah. So growing up as I assume, even though the the incident with the Panasonic thing happened music was was that the dominant or the leading activity before recording yeah absolutely man and in fact i mean 
I feel a little silly talking about growing up without mentioning too that a big part of growing up for me and my family was my dad had Alzheimer's, you know, and started showing symptoms around the time when I was born. And so that contributed greatly to how much music I think we ended up playing. Because music for me, I mean, the, and the reason it was so prevalent in my life at a young age and, and uh, I really dug in as a teenager, it was because it, it was like therapy. It just like it made all the crazy, too real stuff that was happening in the world just kind of dissolve and kind of allowed me to to be a human being. And so it wasn't so much something that like we really, uh, I mean, of course we wanted to do it, but it wasn't so much of a want as it was a need, you know, and it was really helpful. It was just a tool. Yeah. Rather than an ambition. Right. Rather than an ambition. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's still, we're of course we want to be rock stars too. I mean, there's that side of it that doesn't leave, but, but definitely a big part of growing up was handling that situation. And music was a big part of handling it. A bit of a coping mechanism for the stress involved. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Your dad had Alzheimer's. And as you say, that started to show itself around the time you were born. Right. So as a teenager, that was a pretty dominant part of your life, I would imagine. Yeah. The, our, the dominant part of the life. I mean, my, my life, it was it was brutal. It was everything that was going on, you know, every day. Right. It was kind of like, what's going on with dad? Where's dad? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, and he had, uh, by the time I was a teenager, he had moved away into a home as well. So we were going to visit him every day and yeah. stuff like that. That's, yeah, it's tough. And I know that you've, you've talked to me a little bit about that and about that, that process. Whereas I guess if you compare what most other people's upbringing was like, whether it's family trips or even having a dad who is away on business or whatever, your dynamic with your father was different because of, of his diagnosis. Right. Did you play music around him? I did. I'm glad you asked that because that's something that I'd like to just say is I did a, a bit. And now he, he passed away when I was 18. And so maybe I'm 16 or 17. I had gone over to that home and played some songs for him. And that was great. Like that's, that's an amazing thing to do for any, anybody with dementia is play like music therapy. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, I have another family member right now that's going through dementia as well. And I've gone over to him and, and played him songs. And it's just incredible to see him go from seemingly vegetable, right. To all of a sudden pop up and be tapping his knee and singing all the words. So yeah, that I did play for my dad. And that's one thing that, that if he was still around, I would definitely do a lot more of. It was, it was a good thing. Yeah. It seems there's a bit of a thing between Alzheimer's patients and music and how it kind of like, I mean, you, you know, far more about this than I do. So if I'm saying something that sounds completely bullshit, please call me out. But <laughs> it seems like th that music has a way of, in spite of like, if you have an Alzheimer's patient who doesn't remember somebody's face or whether that's their brother or their son, somehow music gets in there and almost like creeps in unaffected. And it really taps into a part of the brain that really jogs their memory. Totally. And, you know, I, I chuckled when you said that because I wouldn't say the same about myself. I don't know that much about Alzheimer's. I, just, I had a lot of experience, but 
as far as how things work, I have no, I don't really know, but I think that's absolutely right. I think that, I think that music taps on a lot of places in the brain and maybe that's what it's all about. It, it hits so many places that there's not enough damage that can happen to where you lose where all the places that music has affected or, yeah. um, I mean, it's something special. Yeah, and it, and it tends to awaken memories. I know, like when I hear certain songs, I've joked about, it's a time travel thing for me. Like I hear a song and I am immediately oh, yeah. transported to junior high or high school or feelings that I had in high school about high school, <laughs> you know? So totally. if you're an Alzheimer's patient, that's an amazing thing. Did music... And it, the importance of it, did it pick up after your father died? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. No, no, totally. So that that whole thing of it it being therapy really kicked in then mm-hmm. more than ever. I'd say, I'd say up until that point, I thought to myself, you know, like the people around me, like I didn't know really any like super successful musicians or like famous people or people that are in the industry making this thing happen. And so a lot of the things I would hear were like, oh, that's super fun to do, but you know, it's not really going to happen. You're not really going to be a musician for a living. That's not actually what you can do. And you can't actually make a living that way. And, and so up until that point, I was getting really into philosophy. I thought I was going to be a philosophy teacher and I was going to Chabot College and just taking classes and fully gearing up to be a philosophy guy. And then, I mean, it really came down to one day it was after my dad had died and I had, I was getting panic attacks and I had a, a particularly bad one this day. And it was right at the worst time too, because it's, everybody was, it was right when everybody was coming out of class. And so this thing starts kicking in and then all of a sudden there's like hundreds of people around. So, you know, the whole panic thing happens and I run out to my car to catch my breath and I'm just kind of trying to relax. And then I walk back onto campus and I see some friends that I had just met and uh, I was really honestly trying to avoid them. Like I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to go talk to them and, uh, but they saw me and so they called me over and, and, and I felt too weird continuing to walk. So I went over and, and sat with them and they were just handing a, a guitar around and they, uh, eventually the guitar came to me and they knew I played music. And so they said, come on, dude, like play us a tune. And so I... Having no clue that you're having a panic attack either. Yeah, they have no idea. Yeah, no, no, they've, they've, no, I, I did not. I was too panicked to, to even talk about it, you know, but they passed me the guitar and I decided to play the, the, the song that I knew the most, which was Where's My Mind by the Pixies, like one of my favorite bands of all time. And I remember just starting that song, feeling that whole overwhelming feeling and then and using it and just really, I used to belt a lot and really get loud. And so I really would belt and scream and I was using all that energy I had from the panic attack, just throwing it into the song. And at a certain point, everything around me dissolved. Like it was just the whole world and everything that I was, everything anybody ever was just went away. And when I opened my eyes, I looked around and it was this circle of people just smiling at me. Hmm. And, and uh, that whole panic thing was absolutely gone. And I was just laughing and smiling with my friends. And right then it hit me. I said, oh, this is what I have to do every day just to live and just to be able to get through it. And, and, and so that was kind of the moment when I decided like, it's, it's going to all be music. Still wasn't quite like it's going to be a career, but it was, it was definitely all about music right, right then and there. Are you a runner? By chance? Yeah. 
Are you really? Yeah, yeah. I ran four miles yesterday. Last oh night. my God. Okay. So there's something physical here that ha- seems to have to happen to kind of keep you level. Is that Oh, totally. Accurate? Yeah, dude. No, totally. I mean, it's, it's funny. There, I remember going to a doctor along, like when I was a kid and always being told that I was a very calm person, a very relaxed kid. And this was the first person in my life to go like, you're kind of an intense kid, huh? Like, you might need to meditate or you know, relax a little more. And Which actually, you know, led me into the, the next thing, which totally kind of changed my life. And I think helps incredibly with everything I do audio related, which I started doing by the doctor's suggestion, started doing float tanks, like isolation tanks, mm. like your sensory deprivation chambers, stuff like that. And you heard of this? Oh yeah, for sure. I've yeah. heard of it. I just, I know where to find a bookstore and a movie theater and a fast food place, but off the top of my head, I can't think of <laughs> where one would, I even know where gun places are, even though I'm not a gun person. But sensory deprivation tanks. Now, I couldn't tell you where the nearest one is. Dude, you've been so close to one many, many times. It's right on college. There's one called Reboot, right next to the Rick, where we have those, you know, the, the audio, audio nerd, nerd hangs. No yeah, dude, and so, yeah, it's right on, on College Avenue, and it's just like, kind of looks like a little spa. And you walk in, there's a front desk, and then there's just a hallway with rooms on either side, and they have float tanks and they have cryo stuff and they do cold plunges and things like that but but it's incredible it's made like it's you lay for an hour and a half in incredibly salty water so you float right to the top you you'd have to really push to sink some people like to put on music but i i like to turn off everything and it just total relaxation and when i come out of it i feel like i'm, I'm a new person and it's the best to go listen, like for me, like taking a year break in there and then go listen to mixes after that. It's just totally fresh. And I start hearing things that maybe I would have, I don't know. Sometimes I think my thoughts and ego and or whatever is going on in my head can get in the way of what I'm hearing. And so that meditation really takes me out of that space and makes me open again. I think I would fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do. <laughs> And that's my favorite is to fall asleep in, in the tank because like my body doesn't really let me. So I do this fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep, wake up thing. And then I'm like in the middle of a dream at a certain point. And it's, it's pretty psychedelic, man. It's pretty, it's, it's awesome. And uh, they seal you in like a, like a cocoon, right? Yeah, but that, that makes it sound really scary. But, but it's, it's really just, you know, you pull down the thing and you can push it back up just as easily. Oh, okay. Okay. It's not like a coffin. No, not like a coffin. Okay, not, not that, so much like a coffin. That would but, freak my shit out. Yeah, but I got really into them around like 18, 19, 20, that, around that time of panic attacks and all that stuff happening. And at the same time, I had recorded some tunes just around town and ended up, a friend of mine who helped me record was working with uh, this guy, Oz Fritz. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, Tom Waits and, For and sure. you know, all these guys. And so when we finished tracking, I took the record up to Nevada City for Oz to mix it at this studio called Ancient Wave, which was super cool and kind of was the start to my studio nerd thing, a studio rat thing, I should say. But I think nerd is a good thing. I, I like being a nerd. I embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but Oz did a lot of floating. And so we really related on that. He was friends with the the people that, started the first commercial float tank. Wow. And so he would he would float every morning. 
Amazing. So it's it's a bit of a, a meditative practice. Yeah, totally. Wow. Super interesting. Okay. Well, maybe I'll give it a shot one time. I used to live over in that neighborhood. I should go and check it out. Yeah. It's awesome, man. Well, what's it called? Reboot? Reboot. Yeah. Reboot. The Warriors did it. Like the, the Steph whole, Curry and the whole team would do flotation yeah. tanks? Yeah, apparently. I mean, that was that was the that's at least the legend that I've heard. And and they do it there too. Huh. Oh wow. What does that cost to do a an hour and a half float tank? Uh they do like an it's been an hour long, hour and fifteen. And it's I don't know. I was a member for a long time. So I was paying. I still have some extras. I could hook you up with one, dude. But they're like fifty bucks. Okay. Fifty bucks if you're a member or something like that. Okay. But I think they go up to like seventy five or eighty five if you're not a member. Well, it costs me sixty bucks if I want to go to the chiropractor. So it's kind you know, it's it's a little in that realm, I'd say. Don't knock it until, or don't even judge it till you do three. That's what I said. <laughs> I mean, the first one is just like you're splashing around. I feel like a little kid again. I'm just splashing around in the water and having a good time. Okay. So for my germaphobe audience, for the, <laughs> the, the members of my audience that are germaphobes, like, is that fresh, clean water each time or? So it's filtered. Okay. Uh, but more importantly than that is inside, there's only so much water in there. It's not crazy. It's not a pool, right? But it's kind of a shallow bath, I'd say. And there's a thousand pounds of salt, of Epsom salts in oh. it. And so nothing can survive. <laughs> <laughs> no bacteria is going to make it. That's what they say. Okay. And I, would, I don't know. I guess I'm a pretty trusting guy. So, Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as Check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. Clearly, music is a centerpiece. It's very important to you. It's physically very important to keep you grounded. And you do these other things running and the flotation tanks. Audio in the act of recording, when did it start to become more than just a passing interest? I attribute most of my engineering career to, honestly, to the pandemic. 
So before the pandemic, I was full-time musician. I was gigging. I mean, you know, cover gigs. I was gigging five nights a week. And it was great. I, you know, I was playing Brown Eye Girl five nights a week, but I was having a good time. It was all good. And then pandemic hit and that all was gone in a couple of weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. And at that same time, I had been taking classes at Chabot College with Michael Rosen. Mm. And around that same time, I was in the I was in the mixing class and I had asked Michael to produce a couple of my songs because I knew he was a producer and I knew I'd never really had a producer produce my tracks for real. And so I wanted to see what that was like. And so we kind of started that process. And around that time, I also asked him if I could intern for him at his studio. And he said, yeah. So then the pandemic hit and all of a sudden it's like being an intern at the beginning of the pandemic was not super exciting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> There's not very many sessions going down, you know? And so what it ended up turning into was uh, it was me and another intern. His name is Dakari. He was working. He's part of East Bay Recorders as well. And we had started at the same time interning for Michael. And because there were no gigs to speak of, we just spent every day in the studio trying shit, just putting mics on the walls, putting mics on the ground, putting mic, you know, just everything everywhere. You know, at the time it was like, I don't know how that piece of gear works. So there's my day. So all of a sudden, like where I would need 10 hours to practice something, I had 10 hours to practice something. I wasn't playing gigs anymore, or doing anything. And so one day, uh, you know, at that, around that time, Michael was getting a, a surgery. And so he was supposed to get, I think it was like June and he was supposed to get surgery in, in September, mm -hmm. uh, but COVID hit. So they called and they said, Hey, I know we said September, but actually it's going to be in two days. And there was a gig booked, actually. There was a session booked for that weekend in a couple of days. And so I think that it hit Michael and he was like, well, I don't know what to do. They, they kind of hired me for me and don't really feel comfortable passing this one along. So I'm not really sure what to do. And so like that panic hit him, I think. And so he, it was me and Dakari in the studio, which is actually near Skyline Studios. This was before we moved to Soundwave. Right. And so he, he said, all right, boys, I'll be back. In just a minute, you guys keep working. And so Michael leaves the studio and, and me and the car keep working. And a few hours go by and Michael comes back up the stairs and he walks in and me and Dakari just kind of look at him and he reaches in his pocket and he throws down some keys on the table in front of us. And he goes, <laughs> all right, boys, I need you to become recording engineers by the time I get back because I can't do this shit forever. Like, you know, just something like that. Was like, that is so Michael. Like, I was like, holy shit, you know, that me and Dakari look at each other, just like big giant grins, like we just won the lottery. And, you know, he gave us keys and, and I haven't left. I was there every day for, for two years, and literally every single day doing something. And then, you know, as much, much as I can be there since, but, and then that's when it really started. And then since, since then, Michael's really taken me under his wing and I've been assisting for him on, on a lot of his projects. Some of the projects he has me drive and engineer uh, a little bit more, and he produces every song that I write. Uh, the more we kind of work on tunes together, the more I feel like they're our, our tunes. You know, I don't even feel like it's my song that's getting produced. I feel like we're just writing together and mm -hmm. making stuff together. And so it's really uh, the whole thing came about pretty naturally. And then I've 
Michael gave me keys and so lets me um, use the space and for my own projects as well. So I'll, I'll bring in stuff that I'm producing or engineering or co-producing or whatever and kind of have a deal for that as well. It's it's really great. The act of recording, does it give you the same sense of peace that playing music does? Yes. It gives me the same sense of peace, but it's not the same as far as, you know, like like running is like physical and intense and mm-hmm. I get sweaty and I'm pushing and I'm, it, you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't have the same exercise element as performing does. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Totally. But it totally, I mean, like, you know, there's nothing, I can't focus on anything more intensely than a mixing session or a tracking session. I mean, the day is just instant when I'm tracking or instant when I'm mixing. It's just, oh my God, how did all those hours go by? It's like, oh, it's dark outside now. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we can all relate to that. It's just like all of a sudden you get into that flow. And and to me, that's like, it's almost like what writing feels like to me. Once you're in the flow of it and you kind of understand the story and you're you're started, the the characters are starting to develop and all these things, it's that's, that's kind of what mixing and recording and tracking feels like to me. And it's great, too, because you and Michael already had an established relationship, teacher-student. Yeah. Michael is great at cutting through the bullshit and just getting to it. And and I don't know if you'd agree with this, but my sense is if you're new, he doesn't hold your hand. Like, he truly, like, lifts you up to get you to take responsibility and own up to things and be, like, it's like, okay, boys, they're the keys be recording engineers by the time I get back. Kind of, <laughs> that concept. Right, right. That says it all about him. Yeah, man. I, and I would say that too. I, I think it's the, I feel like <laughs> this analogy just came to me. I don't know. Uh, this may be a little silly, but he does not hold the seat of the bicycle. You know what I mean? You are right. <laughs> he's like, in fact, you got, I think he pushes the seat of the he, bicycle. I even push it a little bit, but it's it pushing it with love, man. It's like, it's, you know, it's cause like you, you got this, go do it. And that's how you learn. I mean, you know, you get, you have to be in the hot seat and you have to own your decisions. And I mean, that's been the biggest lesson that I've learned. I think working at that studio, one of the biggest lessons, there's many, many lessons. I keep learning things every day, but is to own how you feel, know how you feel and, and own it and trust it as well. And he seems to be the great combination between somebody who doesn't suffer fools, but at the same time, he's also a very compassionate, caring person. Like he's a hard ass, but he's like a fun, hilarious person to be around. But yeah. he, he also calls bullshit on stuff and he will just really try to direct you to yeah, quit fucking around. Come on, let's just do this. Right, kind yeah. of concept. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's the quality we could all use a little more of is is being able to cut through bullshit. Bullshit yeah. meters, you know, we got to have them out. He's like a generation, almost a generation ahead of me. And he comes from that generation of commitment, of good players, of pre-production, of He's older, but he's not too old. And he's got a lot of that worldview that came from the older generation. And it really blends well, I think, in this day and age of a million choices. And totally. And and I think, you know, one of the things that he said that I really, really 
loved it. It made me kind of sure that, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the right place is use whatever you need to use to make it sound however you want it to sound. There's no like, oh, you can't do that there or this shouldn't happen here. Like it's none of that. It's always, always using your ears to judge what's, what's happening as opposed to, you know, your preconceived notions on what should and shouldn't happen or, or your ego or your, whatever it is that's getting in the way of the actual sound waves in your ears. (laughs) So you've spent an incredibly condensed and intense time, especially during COVID, um, really getting to know the world of recording more so than you ever have. I mean, I know that you were exposed to it before, but this kind of really was like grad school level intensity. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's crazy, man. I mean, you know, you read the list of people that, that I've had the opportunity to, to work with or just be in the room with. And, you know, I was writing that out the other night or last night and I was thinking like, this is, this is so funny. Wouldn't even have uh, thought I'd ever be close to some of these people that I think so highly of. I know because you mentioned earlier that you didn't really spend time around people who are in the industry and like, here you are with like a real amazing group. And we were, in fact, we were t- discussing the other day, Dax Nielsen, Rick Nielsen, oh, from yeah. Cheap Trick's son, who played with Cheap Trick for a period of time when Bunny Carlos was out of the band. People like that and, and Jim Bogus, as we said, and Michael Urbano, like just, first of all, some amazing drummers that you've worked with. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, incredible. Incredible people too. Just like, I mean, that's the coolest thing about it that I've found and is just people who are really, really great at what they do. There's just nothing to prove. They just walk in, they're just, they're glad to be here. We're, we're meeting each other, we're hanging out, we're having a good time and, oh, look at that, there's a killer song that got tracked you know what i mean it's so it's awesome that must really throw you for a loop because you've spent so much time around some of the bay area's top players so when an individual or a band comes in that's less experienced and less professional and maybe a little more insecure it must really like you must take have a double take like what's going on right now why (laughs) Why are we struggling so much here? Yeah. What is that feeling? You know what it is, dude? If I'm engineering, it just feels like when I've got a really great, like, uh, we'll just pick drummers right now, just for the sake of the conversation. But if I've got a really great drummer and I'm engineering his playing or her playing or their playing, anybody's playing, makes me go like, wow, I'm pretty good at this. I really know how to, I know how to engineer, like I got this thing. And then, you know, the next day a, a drummer come in who's not as tight and not, that doesn't have that whole thing in their body locked in. And all of a sudden I'll go like, God, yesterday I was good at this. Like, what the hell? Like, I, this, what just happened? And so, yeah, I would say that uh, it doesn't necessarily throw me for a loop as much as it just sort of shows me like my role in the whole process, what I can do and what I can't do as an engineer. And then also it's been a really cool sort of lesson in what the gear says to me as somebody's playing through it. It's like, sometimes the gear is really happy and it says, yeah, like that's right. I'm in that. And the, and the preamps are hitting everything. The compressors are squeezing it just right. And everything's working. And then other times the gear is like, no, not, not this one. This isn't really working for me. Yeah. I think I was talking to you about this. I was with a client, we were tracking drums the other day and client loves to pile a lot of stuff into a day. Says, okay, I want to get seven drum tracks done 
today. Sure. Coming in fresh. <laughs> now, I would say that I'm not tracking all the time these days and not that familiar with the tunes. And I'm sure like if this was Nashville, it'd be like, oh, we could kill that off in an afternoon. However, I think the drummer and I were so concerned we weren't going to get everything done that he overprepared and he's a badass anyway. And I overprepared on layouts and knew exactly where things were going and had a system. And we started at 930 setting up. And by three o'clock, we were walking out of there like, oh, we both wow. thought we were going to be walking out of here at five or 530. Here we are at three, little ahead of schedule. But it's what I'm, I'm telling the story for is just to highlight when you really have a great player, it's truly amazing how much easier our jobs are. We can actually just kind of sit oh, and yeah. let it happen. Whereas less experienced players cause us to have to physically shift a bit because not only do we have to keep recording it and trying to squeeze the sounds to make it all work right, but we also have to mentally engage with these people a little more to try to coach them and make them feel better and try to find out why it's not working. Right. Totally. Which, you know, that's a part of it that I really love. The psychology of what it takes to get somebody to perform at their best is super interesting to me because, you know, what works for one person is like not going to work for another. They will like see what you're doing and go like, stop trying to make me feel good, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a fascinating experiment in just human interaction in general. Right. So how important is it to you now versus five years ago? Uh, it's like, it's everything. I mean, I don't, that's what I love, I think, in music the most is being in a studio. And I mean, I discovered through all of this is that I don't just love making my own music. I actually really love making music for other people or, or helping other people kind of get their visions out. So I would say recording in the recording studio is top priority when it comes to music. I still gig and I still do that. I mean, it's, it's good money, but I think doing some shows of my own music and being in a studio all the time is kind of the dream. You know, I'm not always accurate in my assessments of people and, and situations like anybody. I'm human, but there's two audio-related personality things I've been so right on. And the first one that I can think of off the top of my head is the first time I met Anne-Marie Plo, who edits this podcast, talking to her and interacting with her at Michael Rosen's studio that used to be on San Pablo in the former East Bay Recorders location. Right. And the minute I met her and spending some time around her, I knew in my gut, I was like, this is the person that needs to edit this podcast. I know it in my heart and didn't hesitate to ask her. And I had the same feeling about you with some recent projects that cropped up. Some people said, yeah, we're thinking about doing this. And I just, without hesitation said, you got to go to AJ. Cause I just knew there was something about you, my conversations with you and my knowledge of you musically and recording wise and things Michael had said, it all just kind of added up and I just went, I have that gut feeling again. Go to AJ. And I was proven right once again in this these projects I'm mixing right now. Oh, right on, dude. I so appreciate that. Yeah. It's been, just, it's been you, a great time. I get a sense you really bring not only just a musicality because of you, you being a player and a writer, but you are 
intense time with Michael Rosen taking you under his wing as a recording engineer, producer, whatever, whatever role in the recording world you want to play. I just knew those things would be a fantastic combination. Yeah, right on. And, and I would just say, like, speaking about the roles, every role is so important. If people don't get coffee on time, like, it's the whole session will fall apart, <laughs> you know? And I want to add to that, too. You watched our house. We had to go out of town, and yeah. and, yeah, and yeah. I had a gut feeling about that. I, and you watched our house, and then I think based on that, too, I was just like, this dude has his shit together, and he I has this, and he has dude. that, and I was just like... <laughs> Okay, this is the guy for the job. And I got right feedback on. from the people that I, I recommended and they were like, that was a smart, smart call. And I was like, damn straight oh, it was because cool. he's a badass. So. Um, so, you know, it's, I just feel so lucky to have so many people who have been in this far longer than I have that believe in me and, and pull me into situations and give me an opportunity to work really hard and, and show you that I, you know, I mean this and I want to be here and I, and I got you covered and all that kind of stuff. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, and I'm not just trying to blow smoke up your ass here, but I mean, seriously, and here's a lesson for those listening that are getting into this. And I'll just tell you, as we're, you and I are talking, but I'll tell the audience as well, you do what you say you're going to do. And I find a lot of younger people, not all of them, that's a blanket statement. There is, I've run into many aggressive personalities who talk a big game and all my red flags go up and none of my red flags went up with you. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give this guy a chance because I think something feels right here and it worked. And right so kind of harking back to my last episode where I was talking to Tim O'Sullivan, we were talking about polite persistence. You have this kind of quiet confidence about yourself that like just talking to you and you showing the enthusiasm you have without being like too sappy about it either. You're just like, yeah, man, we, you know, we had a great time. We did this. It was, you know, like that's infectious. And when you get around that, it's like, okay, I think this person would be great to involve. So to my listeners, take what we're talking about to heart. If you're young and getting into it, don't be an aggressive little entitled asshole is what I'm saying, because, <laughs> you, because you're not, you're not at all. And uh, that's, sometimes what you're not is the biggest compliment. <laughs> <laughs> an aggressive, entitled young asshole who thinks they know everything. Right. 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 And, and it's so if you take a little bit about, you know, what right. are we talking about? Michael Rosen cutting through the bullshit and I'm trying to cut through the bullshit and just say what it is. Yeah. So I hear you. We're almost out of time, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention makenobonesmusic.com is your website. It's also, that's kind of like your yes. project. That's your thing. Yeah. And you have a new album out called Unconditional. Yes. Yeah. In which all the tunes are, are great examples of a lot of that experimenting with different room tricks and miking tricks and different instruments and, you know, all sorts of stuff. I mean, we, we made those tunes, me and Michael, over the course of about two years. And each song has a different band. I mean, it's just different. We Frankensteined bands for every song to kind of fit each vibe. Yeah, it was, it was super fun. It was a really fun experience. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes to not only Make, make No Bones music, but I'll also put a link to uh, Apple Music and Amazon Music for the record. So depending cool. on what's, which of those services you dig, you could check it out. Or even Spotify, if, if people are into Spotify. 
Wow, AJ, really great to talk to you. And I'm sure that in years down the road, definitely got to have you back and kind of see where you're at. And I foresee that there's going to come a time where I'm going to be like, hey, don't forget about me, dude. Because <laughs> I know you're going to- Even gonna... when you're saying that, dude, it's like, I won't forget about anybody, dude. I, if I'm if I'm lucky enough to even begin to forget. <laughs> no, no. I, I, and I say that with all sincerity. I, I really think that like, there's going to come a time where we're all going to know your name, like in the music industry. I think that great things are ahead for you and I am and I really am excited for you. So I wish you the best of luck and all I appreciate right. Thanks, you making man. time for me to come on the show. And yeah, I'll see you when I see you next. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm such a fan. So happy to be on. All right. Take care. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. AJ Hicks here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. If you like the show, you like the interviews, you like what's going on, head on over to your podcast aggregator like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Leave a five-star review if you can. Really helps out the show, and I really would appreciate it. That's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plow in the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and the magical voice of Chuck Smith at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Feel free to send me an email, matt at workingclassaudio.com. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.